Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 219, Cyborg versus Holly Holm. Shaq, it's going down this Saturday, the last event of 2017, and it's a good one to close the year. I mean, Cyborg's one of the most vicious chicks to ever do it, and the co-main event's really my main event. I mean, I want to see if uh, Khabib can keep his undefeated record. We know what it is. When he gets on top of you, generally the fight's over, and he's fighting the, the guy that likes to time the flying knees, the spinning head kick. So I'm interested to see that fight, and there's a lot of other good fights. Like Edson Barbosa said in the pre-fight video, I'm the only man in UFC history to finish a fight via leg kick, body kick, and head kick. So that's all I got to say about that. And obviously, you know, the ground game of Khabib speaks for itself. We'll get to that soon. But dude, we told the fans that we were going to have a max bet for this card. And as everyone knows, we cashed back to back to back max bet winners. Took a week off last week with Alessio. You know, you cashed the two and a half unit play for me, the two unit play for you. And now it's time to get back to max bet season because we got Mateus Nicolau. He's minus 235. The comeback on Lewis Smolka is plus 195. Interesting fight. What do you think? I think this is a perfect example of Lewis Smolka. You know, a year or two ago, he was riding high on momentum. He had all the confidence in the world. And now I feel like he's been exposed. And now I feel like... It's over now. I feel like, to be to be honest, he was never that good to begin with. I feel like the game has evolved and passed him up. You know, back four or five years ago, three, four or five years ago, those crazy scrambles back and forth, that was considered exciting. But now that's, that's not the type of thing you're looking for to bet in when you're betting. You want somebody that's solid, that's going to hold position, not going back and forth, not going for guillotines from a standing position, going to your back, can't, be, can't stuff a takedown. And, you know, it's interesting, after he beat Ben 10, all the momentum in the world, then he gets that fight against Moreno. But to be honest, like, you know what Ray Borg said, I wasn't that surprised Moreno beat him because we know that Smolka leaves himself open for a lot of things. It was just he had that mindset at the time that he was going to get through everything. But if we're being honest, he was fighting the Neil Series of the world. He was fighting the Patty Houlihan's of the world. He was fighting the Richie Vasses of the world. The Ben 10s. The, ben, the thing is, he beat Ben 10, we beat John Moraga. So, I mean, you tell me what's up. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, Mateus Nicolau, a lot of people are under the, you know, the people that are betting smoke are saying, oh, Mateus, he's coming off a USADA suspension. Um, he's, he's, he's first fight off the juice. First of all, if you really look into it and hear yourself talk, you would understand the kid's 24 years old. He ain't going to be having any type of body performance issues anytime soon. It's not like he's been in a hundred wars. So yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he beat John Moraga off steroids. So he passed a drug test for that fight. So on paper, he, he did, uh, he beat John Moragov, Juice, the number six flyweight in the world, the second hardest hitting flyweight in the world. And he boxed him up for three rounds, stuffed all the takedowns, got on top of John Moraga. And we like we already know. And the difference in this fight is, for one, we are going to absolutely wipe him out on the feet. I mean, he has nothing for us on the feet. And then on the mat, he has nothing for us on the mat. If he wants to come play that sloppy jujitsu, Mateus Nicolau is a very accomplished black belt. Been a black belt since he was like 18 or 19. Smoke hasn't fought a black belt yet, and now you're going to see the difference between that sloppy jujitsu like you see with him and Elliot, and now you're going to see what a real black belt is. The second Mateus and, and Smoke hits him at, you're going to see the difference, and I honestly think Mateus is going to finish him with a rear naked choke, an arm triangle, or a darse. So did you bet on this fight? I did bet on this fight. Five units to win 2.94. I honestly should have put more, but I thought more people would get a emotional betting Smoke. But uh, it is what it is, you know. There will always be another opportunity, and I think Mateus is going to have a 
a dominant decision victory. He is Hawaiian. He is tough. I know he won't quit, but he has no advantage in this. He doesn't have the uh, wrestling advantage. He has no striking advantage in this fight. He has no jiu-jitsu advantage in this fight. I don't see where he's going to win. I mean, I think it's an easy fight for Mateus. So uh, a lot of people did get emotional and bet Smolka, but you know when half the battle decides to max bet something and it's minus 175 and then within a span of 10 minutes it goes up to minus 400 that's that's what sharps do and that's the bottom line so i apologize to everyone for ruining that line but you know all the emotional smoke betters did bring it back down now we got minus 235 on mateus again back in max bet range so go ahead and, and, and take a stab and you know it's pretty funny. One of our fans messaged me, and he's like, if Smolka was Russian, his last name would be Smolkov. But uh, anyways, as far as this, this fight's concerned, every single Lewis Smolka fight starts the same. Within 10 seconds of the fight, he's on his back, and he's full-mounted, or he gives up his back. He gives up these bad positions because he's very confident in his ability to scramble out of them. And one really good quality about him is when he gives up his back, he's got a very nice overhook. He's so long for the weight class that he's able to reverse these guys and get on top of them and pound them out. The issue here is... You know, when you when you get full mounted by Patty Houlihan and, you know, these guys that he's been fighting, obviously you can scramble out of it. <laughs> if you get if you get full mounted against a first place IBJJF black belt, which is what Mateus is, by the way, there's no scrambling out of it. You give up your back to a guy like that and you're getting choked out. And that's just the bottom line. And, uh, you know, Smoker's a very tough guy. We know that. He's Hawaiian. He can take shots. So take shots for three straight rounds and lose the decision. It's no big deal here if you don't get finished. Whatever, man. And let's talk about what happens on the feet. I mean, you recall our last fight. Uh, we outstruck Moraga for three straight rounds. Clean, crisp boxing in that pocket. That left hook is beautiful, by that's, the way. That's something uh, Magomed Bubalatov can do. Magomed got a, you know, launched across the octagon. My boy Mateus was calm. One thing I like about him is he doesn't take any unnecessary risks, which is, you know, which would play right in the smokers game. We're calm. We got that typical old school Nova style. We're not going to do anything stupid. We're going to come in here looking to win on points. And when Smoka presents the opportunity to get choked out, we will take it. It's so funny. I hear people saying shit like, oh, you're betting a guy coming off the juice with a USADA. I thought you're, I thought Daniel was the guy that, that, you know, bets against USADA victims. And it's like, hold, hold, hold on a second here. <laughs> You motherfuckers are acting like this is 40-year-old Vitor, like his body's melting off, and you know what I'm saying? Like, it's sad, and it's like, bro, do you, you know, but you guys conveniently forgot that your favorite new fighter, Brian T. City Ortega, also popped when he was about 23, 24 years old in his UFC debut, and what's he done since then? Shaq, he's finished every single fight he's Whoa. had, so, you he's know. He's 24 years old. <laughs> Let's calm down here. <laughs> motherfuckers acting like mother USADA thing is going to be a big this, deal. It ain't a big deal at all. This ain't 40-year-old Leona Machida that's been through the fucking ringer and been through war after war. This ain't Vitor. This ain't Anderson. This is a 24-year-old kid that's got, like, what? 14, 15 fights maybe? I mean, come on now. Yeah, and let, let's talk worst-case scenarios here because, look, this is betting. It's a fight still a fight. You know, no one has an 100% hit rate. So let's talk worst-case scenarios. In my opinion, Shaq, the worst-case scenario is, first of all, you know, we try to take him down and he gets us in the guillotine, but that's not going to happen. We're at first place IBJJF black belt, the first black belt he's ever fought. Second worst case scenario, he somehow reverses us, gets on top. We can't get out, and he pounds us out, which also 
is not going to happen, my friend. I mean, when you talk about a Novo and Yao get-up game, I mean, you know, I know everyone likes to make fun of Novo and Yao now because Hannon Brown, Jose Aldo, they've been in so many wars that their bodies don't hold up anymore. But when you remember that prototypical Novo and Yao style, some of the best takedown defense in the history of the sport, you saw D1, John Moraga, shoot in on a nice takedown on Mateus Nikolai. You saw the effortless shuck that Nikolai had. It wasn't even a full sprawl. It was effortless as hell. His hips were out of there right away. Like I said, like when we when we make these type of max bets, we we go in there that that our worst scenario still beats a guy. As for example, Davi Ramos and Chris Gritzmacher in Fresno, that was our worst scenario. I mean, Davi was fucking pulling guard two minutes into the fight and getting cracked with right hands, and we still we still finished him. And I feel like even if Mateus was feeling the Usada thing a little bit, which I highly doubt, he's not. He's he, looking look, ripped as shit. Exactly. You saw the pictures. The dude's ripped, bro. Which he's not. All we have to do is shoot. <laughs> We're going to get a takedown. We're going to be ahead on points. At the worst scenario, he's not going to choke us out. We are a IBJJF, whatever it's called. IBJJF. IBJJF. Two, two. Actually, in since he's been suspended on Usada, he's won two tournaments at featherweight, actually. so yeah, You know, I, I heard another <laughs> show talking about, Black belt oh, division. what's he what's he been doing since he was suspended? He's just been sitting on the sidelines. That's not true. He's been competing in the highest uh, jiu-jitsu you tournament know, in his first place. Another thing is he actually got invited down by uh, Frankie and Marlon Marais to come train at uh, Ricardo Almeida's. And uh, he's been doing that as well. And guess, and guess, matter of fact, if we're talking about Matt Games, guess who he's training with in this camp? Damian Maya. So... If Smoko wants to play jujitsu, by all means, let's do it. I'm glad you brought that up because <laughs> Mateus is the kind of guy that, you know, I don't want to say he doesn't have loyalty or this or that. No, I don't give a fuck. The thing that he does, man, is he changes camps for, you know, he does fight-specific training camps. For example, for for John Moraga, we knew we had to have our cardio on point. We knew, we knew we had to have our striking sharpened. So what did we do? We did that whole camp at Greg Jackson's, and then we schooled the guy on the feet. For this fight, we know Lewis is an intense uh, scrambler. We know that's what he likes to do. So guess what? We're going to train with Damian Maya, the best jiu-jitsu player in the UFC for this entire camp, and I, I think he's going to show a lot here, man. And, you know, Louis Smolka, very nice guy. You know, he was the third fighter I ever interviewed on Half the Battle. But as you guys know, none of that shit matters when when it comes to to betting on fights. And someone, you know, you can't just bet on someone because you like them because they're your friends. Someone's gonna be like, "Oh, but you bet on Vic every fight." Yeah, well, Vic's got a ninety-two percent win rate. Of course, I bet on him every fight. So, assuming I win this fight, as you guys know, this is my last UFC bet of the year. If I win this fight, I'm gonna finish the year forty-five units in profit. If I lose this fight. I'm going to finish the year 34 units in the profit. So regardless, my biggest year to date, my biggest straight bet to date, or this year actually, because you know I've had bigger ones in the past, and uh, let's get it. Now real quick, I know someone's going to be like, oh, but I thought Randy Brown was your biggest play. It was in terms of amount risked, but I made a dumbass mistake and parlayed half of it with someone else and uh, only put half of it straight. And you learn your craft. I'll never do that again. But in this spot, it's 100% six units straight. And let's fucking go, man. And, you know, I don't want to disparage Louis Smolka, a very cool guy. So I'm not going to talk about what's been going on in his personal life. But what I will say is type in uh, Louis Smolka, Frank Trigg, UFC 219. That's all I got to say. Look, Smolka's a tough guy, man. He's a wine. I faded Hawaiian fighters in the past, and they don't quit. You know what I'm saying? He's a tough guy. You know, I know he's going through some, you know, after the Moreno loss, I I, I felt like his confidence just, you know, completely was shot. I mean, he lost to the number 16 seed on tough, you know, a guy that got finished in his first fight on tough. And Moreno has proven that he is a top 10 flyweight. But the thing is, not only that fight, after the Ray Borg fight, if you go on UFC Fight Pass, you watch that UFC 207 thrill in the agony. 
And I mean, the words that the kid was saying, I mean, that's not what people say after facing defeat. I mean, Ray Borg, you know, completely dominated the scrambles. And after the fight, Lewis Smoker was like, man, I might as well quit now. My record sucks. I might as well work at McDonald's. And, you know, that's just shows you what the mindset is. He can act like this and that. I mean, he's a tough guy. But when you're when your skills aren't up to par with Mateus and I know you don't have that confidence anymore and I know what you're doing outside the octagon, it's Mac's best season. Bro, you know, I didn't want to get into it, but since you brought it up, oh, we might as well. Maybe this is the last episode of the year. Look, <laughs> he went on half the battle about a year ago after uh, I believe it was either the Moreno or the Ray Borg fight. And, you know, he said the way he dealt with that loss is he uh, stayed in about a corner for about a month, and he drank himself uh, to bed every night. Now, I thought he just had a twisted sense of humor. I thought he was being kind of funny about it. You know, that's what he did. Well, dude, it turns out that's what he really did. I'm not going to go too deep into it. Just go check out uh, the Frank Trigg interview, UFC 219, Lewis Smolka, Frank Trigg. So, bottom line, look, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'll tip my cap to Lewis Smolka if he pulls this off. I just don't think he will. Six units, Mateus Nicolau. I hit it minus 175. Currently, it's minus 235. We're back in max bet range. As long as it's minus 250 or less, I say go at it. And uh, may the best man win. So let's go, Mateus. Now, next up, also in the flyweight division, we got Tim Elliott. He's minus 220. The comeback on the newcomer, Mark De La Rosa, is plus 180. Now, I'm going to go ahead and get it out there, man. Mark De La Rosa, he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He's been training his wrestling with Kenny Monday for about three years. He's got decent boxing. And one thing about Tim Elliott, man, this could be the classic letdown spot. I mean, when you're training to fight a guy like Justin Scoggins, you're expecting fight of the night, and then Scoggins pulls, which he is known for, Shaq. And then uh, you get the call that you have to fight Pietro Manga. Then Pietro Manga can't make the weight. Then your coach, unfortunately, dies. And you find out that Tim Elliott bought a house in Vegas just so he could hang out with Coach Robert Follis. Rest in peace. I'm not talking any shit, but this is the scenario we're dealing with here. And then you hear the pre-fight interview with Tim Elliott, and he says, you know, James Krause, my head coach, was telling me yesterday we should probably pull out of this fight. And also, Tim Elliott was saying about a week ago he was, uh, you know, he was hitting that bottle pretty hard, man. So... Tim Elliott doesn't really seem like he's in a position to win. But the one thing he does have going for him, Shaq, he's so much more experienced than Mark De La Rosa. Mark De La Rosa doesn't know what this level is like. You know, the most he's faced is uh, Combate Americas. I know he beat a UFC vet and Joseph Sandoval, but let's be honest. Uh, you know, Joseph Sandoval's only UFC fight lasted 20 seconds when Nick Denise uh, blasted him with elbows. You remember that shit? So, uh, you know, but hey, Mark De La Rosa handled him exactly how you're supposed to handle him, which is get him the fuck out of there right away. So... Now it comes down to, are we seeing the best Mark De La Rosa? Probably not at short notice, but I can 100% guarantee you we're not seeing the best Tim Elliott. It's going to be a very closely contested fight. I'm going to lean towards the upset here, actually, but it won't surprise me if the vet gets it done. But the way Elliott's been talking, he's hitting the bottle last week. He feels like, he just feels like he shouldn't be there right now fighting. Look, you heard me say on the UFC when I picked show, I was highly considering fading Elliott and... I'm highly considering fading Elliott again. Look, the guy's 3-6 and six in the UFC. Yeah, I understand he's exciting. I understand he's a fun fighter to watch. But let's be honest here. The high-level flyweights don't get smoked like that against Ben 10. Now, I understand Ben 10, you know, he's an exciting fighter. But Ben 10's also another exciting fighter. Ben 10, hey, has he gone three rounds yet? In the UFC? Not to my knowledge. He ain't gone three rounds yet. That's how, that's how you separate. Actually, you know, that's not true. He did. When he beat Gene Herrera. Oh, he went three rounds? But okay. he schooled him for three rounds. It wasn't I'm back talking and forth. About, I'm talking about a high-level back-and-forth fight for three rounds. No, no back-and-forth. Exactly. Forth. You know what I'm saying? That's what separates the Sergios, the, the Cejudos, the, the DJs, the 
the who else is up there? Uh, Nikolai exactly. I don't think Ben. I feel like Ben Ten's right out, outside there, but he's not there yet. He's an exciting, fun fighter that likes to fuck guys up, and he fucked Tim Elliott up. Now look, I, I looked into the De La Rosa kid. I feel like the De La Rosa kid's no slouch. I feel like he can box. I feel like he can wrestle. Like we said, he's a he's a black belt in jujitsu, and I feel like he might have the the advantage everywhere against Elliott. Like, look, when you talk about the Elliott Elliott Smoker fight. I honestly don't know how I got fight of the night. I mean, for one, it was fairly not one-sided, but I mean, that's in my opinion, that's low-level stuff. In my opinion, when I talk about high-level flyweights, I'm talking about the Sergios, the Cejudos, the the Mateus beating Moraga, the John Moraga knocking out Magomed Bibalatov. Not that slobby back and forth scrambling. Like we're past those days, and I feel like Elliot's still on that thing now. I know he took advantage beating up on some young guys like. Uh, Shelton and Schnell and the Jap on tough and you know I feel like he can beat those guys but you know when this De La Rosa kid I feel like and, and and not to mention he's fighting at Bantamweight Tim Elliott ain't no fucking Bantamweight he's a flyweight but real quick Mark De La Rosa he's 5'4 he's 5'4 but he's a he's fought at Bantamweight his whole entire career Tim Elliott, when's the last time he fought at Bantamweight? Probably on some jobber show. Look, like I said last time, Tim Elliott fought. This dude's got wins over Jared Papazian, the green-haired guy, and Lewis Smolka. Exactly, man. So, like, for him to be lying like this, um, I mean, look, yeah, he had a good fight with DJ, but he lost, you know? And I feel like, yeah, he's got more experience, but... I feel like, like we said, I feel like, honestly, I have a speculation that the guy's fighting for the wrong reasons. Every interview I hear from him, it's about money. It's about money. I bought a house for 270 grand. I, uh, you know, coach died, which is not a good situation, but I'm talking about other things. Just the fact that even before Robert Fowler died, the Pietro Manga fight, you know, he's talking about, uh, I'm not going to, everything's just about money for the guy. I feel like he's fighting for the wrong reasons. I feel like he's sounding broken, destitute, and, you know, I feel like uh, De La Rosa is going to come in here and uh, put a clinic on him. So you bend it? Uh, you know, we'll make talks. You know, uh, if there's a if there's a a need to, I'm gonna look more into it. I'm gonna uh, see how De La Rosa and them look on the scales, and I want to see how how the size you know weigh. Because like I said, Elliot ain't no bantamweight. De La Rosa's fought at bantamweight his whole career, whether he's five four or not. And um, I got De La Rosa. That's all I gotta say. Middleweight division. We got Marvin Vittori. He's minus two twenty. The comeback on Omari Akhmedov is plus one eighty. What do you think? You know, it's a very, it's a, what I like to call a trap fight because, you know, a guy just looking at it on paper would think, oh, Amari, man, that guy's been knocked out by Zaleski. He's been knocked out by Serginio. He's, he's been finished by Gunny. I mean, he's chinny. He's old. And, you know, Marvin Vittori, the Italian stallion, guy's very explosive. Had a good fight with Carlos Jr. I mean, he almost finished Carlos Jr. in that second round. I feel like the guy's got a very good future, but his cardio is lacking big time. I mean, you saw that Vitor Miranda fight. The guy gasses out. You saw the Carlos Jr. fight. The guy gasses out. I mean, it is what it is. He comes out hard, and he gasses. And, you know, you would think that he has a big size advantage with Omari moving up from 70, and that's not the case at all because when we saw Omari in there with uh, Rizakos, Razaka Hassan's last fight, I mean, you saw the size of Omari. I mean, his shoulders look so big, and I understand why he moved up to 185, and now we're probably going to even see a better version of him. So this is a fight that I would stay away from totally. It's either dog or pass. You know, like we said, Omari moving up from 170, he's been used to getting hit by welterweights, but maybe his chin, you know, eats a better shot now because his fight with Razaka Hassan that third round, his chin held up, and in the past against, you know, Zaleski and Serginho, it didn't. So it's a fight I'm staying away from. You know, I'm going to take uh, Vittori in this one. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Omari pulled it off at all. 
you know, I question if it's that his chin didn't hold up or is that his gas tank didn't hold up. And as a result, you know, he had to take a knee in, in the Zaleski and Serginho fights. Because in that in that Al-Hassan fight, he was just as gas in that third round, but I guess he had that experience to carry him through there. But, man, he's moving up for a reason. The thing with Marvin Vittori, man, I love that King's MMA pressure style, that southpaw. He goes forward, big body kick. And I think he's actually going to be bigger than Omari Ahmedov here. So we know Omari. He's got the typical Russian style, which I respect a lot. I respect every single Russian warrior. They truly are elite fighters. I think there's something about the youth here of Marvin Vittori. Now, look, everyone's got to take... Actually, he already took his first UFC L, by the way, against uh, Carlos Jr. So, you know, maybe I shouldn't even be talking about that. I think Marvin Vittori is going to win this fight, man. I think he's the rightful favorite here. I got a lot of respect for Amari Akhmedov, but uh, I think Marvin Vittori's pressure is going to be too much. And even though he does gas out, Amari gasses out too, man. So, you know, they're both going to be tired. It's going to be kind of fun to watch. It's going to get sloppy at times. But I, I think Marvin's forward pressure is going to be the difference here. Featherweight division. Miles Jury is minus 200. The comeback on Rick Lennon is plus 170. Now, Shaq, you recall... Rick Glenn's last fight against Gavin Tucker. It opened a pick em. Now, the public steamed Gavin Tucker to minus 400. And uh, you, you saw what happened. Uh, Rick Glenn set a significant strike record on his face for the featherweight division. You think he's going to come out here and get his second straight upset in a row? Man, it's a, it's a good fight because, you know, Jerry, at one point, I mean, this kid was thought to be a future world champion. I mean, you remember when this kid got fucking... Right off the tough show, got Michael Johnson, who was a top 10 guy at the time, and he 30-26'd him. He went on to beat knockout Ramsey in the gym, knockout Gomi, uh, you know, some other wins. And ever since that Cowboy fight, the alarming thing about the Cowboy fight wasn't the loss. It was what he did after the fight. He completely changed everything. He, you know, he left the people that bought him up, Alliance, MMA, and then he dropped to featherweight. Right that after was out of loss. nowhere. Right after one loss, he was 15-0, 16-0, whatever he was, and one loss, I'm switching teams and I'm dropping away class. And then, you know, he goes in there against Charles and gets choked out. Then, you know, he switch, leaves that team. And now, now he's back with the people that bought him up. Now he's back with Jeremy Stevens. He's back with Eric Del Fiero. He's back in San Diego. I guess the kid finally came to his senses and was like, Look, you know, maybe he was a young kid. He was stupid. I don't know. I don't know. But that's alarming. You know, when after one loss, you just bounce out, drop a weight class and change team. So and, you know, Rick Lynn, Rick Lynn's that type of guy, you know, on paper. Yeah. All his opponents have the advantage against Rick Lynn. He's one of those. He's one of those Darren Elkins guys. He's one of those Evan Dunham guys. He's like he's like one of those guys you think I'm going to beat his ass. <laughs> he's even got a little Matt Brown. In <laughs> exactly. Him. You know, he's one of those guys. You, you watch him on tape and you're like, oh, I'm going to run over this guy. And then when you get in there with him, you're like, oh, fuck <laughs> He's tough as hell. I mean, let's recall back when Jory, Georgie Karakanian was the man outside the UFC, when he was the best featherweight outside the UFC. Rick Glenn uh, made him quit and broke his face. You know what I'm saying? And uh, Rick Glenn was the uh, World Series of Fighting Champion. Now, what this fight comes down to is how does Rick Glenn deal with Jerry's style? Because Jerry's style, 
it's pretty it's a pretty style he's not going to be in there looking to fight Ricklin. i'll tell you that much right now he's going to be looking to stay on the outside look pretty get a couple nice you know single legs stay him down use his black belt try to nullify Ricklin. and it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see if Ricklin gets frustrated with that or if he takes it to jury because how many times has jury fought in two years once and who is that against mike delatore exactly so i mean like we said jury really ain't done shit in the last two years and i mean I know he's back with his old team now, but Rick Glenn is not the type of guy you sleep on. Rick Glenn's one of those guys, like I said, he's a Elkins, he's a, a Dunham. These guys that you think you're, you're going to beat his ass, and then <laughs> it turns out he beats your ass. He's just one of those guys. Yeah, he likes to block punches with his face. He likes to get hit a ton. But, I mean, it's just a matter of uh, he, he stays on him, and I think he will, actually. I think he's going to stay in Jerry's face. Like we said, they're both tall featherweights. Uh, I think Rick Glenn's six foot. I think Jerry's like 5'11", six foot maybe. And uh, I think Rick Glenn's one of those guys that you just don't want to sleep on. And I think a lot of people, I see a lot of, a little more money's coming on him. But I think Rick Glenn's going to stay in his face. I think uh, that is, I think he's just, the length of him is going to be too hard to take him down. And uh, I, we have seen him get dominated on the map before by Lance Palmer in uh, World Series. But I feel like, you know, he's training at Alpha Male now. Hopefully, you know, he's learned from those mistakes. And, I mean, his last fight, you saw what he did. Everyone counted him out that fight. I remember him being, like, plus 335 on fight time. And he, like, Evan Tucker may never fight again. Just put it that way. That's the type of beating Rick Glenn dished out. So, I'm going to take Rick Glenn in this one. Like we said, Jury hasn't done anything in two years. I feel like, yeah, on paper, Jury's a better fighter. Yeah, I feel like he's better on the feet. Yeah, I feel like he's better on the mat. But let's see where he is mentally if things start to get tough. Because I know mentally Rick Glenn is as tough as they come. It's a great point, man. Uh, listen, I always respect the odds maker's perspective. You know, he opened Miles Jury minus 300, which one could say is a joke, but at the same time, I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, you know, why did you open Miles Jury minus 300? And there, there's a reason why. Miles Jury is the way smoother guy here. But the thing is, if this is a pretty fight, Miles Jury is going to win all day. If this is a dirty, gritty fight, Rick Glenn's going to win all day. So, you know, when you don't have money on the line like I don't right now, you know, I mean, I'm not even that invested into this fight, man. There's no money on the line. It's going to be fun to watch. So either, you know, Miles Jury is going to point fight him or Rick Glenn's going to get in there in the clinch, rip elbows, you know. But listen, man, Miles Jury's got some clean techniques. Like, you remember that fight with Cowboy, and right away he shot a beautiful blast double. But what happened was Cowboy immediately attacks uh, Uma Plata, takes his back for the whole round, and totally broke his confidence. I don't think Rick Glenn has the kind of jujitsu that Cowboy Cerrone had at that point in time. I mean, that was back when uh, Jones fought DC the first time. So I'm thinking if Miles Jury does take Rick Glenn down, now I could be wrong. He has Rick Glenn has been putting in work at Team Alpha Male. So you know, if he gets back up and nullifies the takedown, then you know, then I'm wrong about that. But I think that Miles Jury will be able to take down Rick Glenn, and I think he's going to keep Rick Glenn down. I, I've seen Miles Jury keep people down. I saw him keep Michael Johnson down, which was fucking a million years ago, 2013, but he still did it. And then also the Cowboy Cerrone fight, but Cowboy's got much better jujitsu than Rick Glenn. So, you know, it's, it's all about where this fight takes place. I'm going to go with Miles Jury by decision, but I wish luck to everyone betting Rick Glenn because you know I gotta vote. You know I gotta root for the grimy, dirty guy in there. You know what I'm saying? I love Rick Glenn. He's a cool dude. So I wish him the best. So next up in the light heavyweight division, we got Khalil Roundtree. He's minus three twenty-five, and the comeback on McCall Alexa Jaychuk is plus two sixty-five. Now, Shaq, let me ask you a question. You know what's one thing you need to have in the UFC? A ground game. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like we said, it's another fight. 
stay away from. Look, I think Khalil offensively striking is fucking dangerous as hell. I mean, <laughs> the guy hits like a fucking truck. He kicks like a truck. But like we said, one little back take, one takedown mentally, the guy's going to be at the fight. You know, this uh, Michel Olick, whatever his name is, the pole. Guy's tough, man. On the local scene, he gets his ass whooped the first minute or two, and then he beats the guy's ass, and he finishes the guy's. And this is a very tricky fight. I see a lot of people playing the uh, over and the under and at, like, minus 200 or something like that, and I don't understand it at all. Look, maybe you guys have a have a edge that I don't have, but this is a fight I want to stay away from. I can't trust Roundtree. I trust Roundtree against, like, certain guys, like, you know, Paul Craig, for example. Right, Daniel Jolly. The guy that I know the second he touches him, they'll go down. And that might be the case here, so I'm going to go with Roundtree. Um, I've seen Mitchell get tagged on the local scene, but he generally comes back. But I wouldn't, it wouldn't be shocked if he did it again if he can get a takedown because. But I feel like offensively, Roundtree is one of the most heaviest hitters in the UFC, one of the hardest kickers in the UFC, and I feel like he's going to put him out. Look, I view Khalil Roundtree like I view a prime Melvin Gillard. You know, on the feet, he's very, very dangerous, but the fight hits the mat one time. You attack this guy's neck one time, you know what I'm saying, man? He's going to be tapping that mat right away. We, we ain't fighting no hands. We're tapping that mat right away. So, you know, with McCall, Alexa, Jaychuk, it's one of these situations where, like you mentioned, Shaq, he gets tagged up in all his fights early on, but He's found a way to come back and break the dudes, and then he finds his timing. Then he looks good all of a sudden. It's like, whoa. You know, the dude you see in the first two minutes is not the dude you see in the, in the last three minutes of the round, right? So it's all about if he can get past those first two minutes. So it's going to be interesting because Khalil Roundtree, what I like about his striking style is he's got that southpaw stance kind of like Anderson a little bit. He, he plays around with his hands down. He kind of dances in there. He's very fun to watch on the feet. He's a very explosive guy. He's got knockout power for days. But, man... Like I said, the first question I asked you a second ago was, what's one thing you need in the UFC? You need wrestling. You need jujitsu. You need a fucking ground game, man. Like, this ain't this ain't glory. You know what I'm saying? This ain't K1. This is the UFC. So this fight hits the mat one time. I'm not saying he's Gomi level where, you know, for a fact, if it hits the mat one time, it's going to be over. But if it hits the mat one time, whoever bet on Roundtree is going to be shitting their pants. And when I say hit the mat one time, I don't mean Roundtree dropping McCall because, you know what I'm saying? Because then he'll probably finish the fight. So... Most likely, Roundtree is able to capitalize on the early defensive flaws of McCall, Alexa, Jaychuk, and get him out of there with a knockout. But the thing is, man, if he does not get him out of there with a first-round knockout, don't be surprised when he gets choked out. That's all I got to say about that. Well, guess what, man? It, Khalil Roundtree, man. You know what I'm saying? Because even though, even though... If it hits the mat or if it gets past the first three minutes, there's that high chance that, you know, McCall weathers that storm and takes over. The thing is, I don't I'm not convinced McCall can weather that storm. There's so much firepower in those first <laughs> three minutes, big man. Fucking haymakers. <laughs> so yeah, I mean Khalil's a, a very dangerous dude standing. And you know I you know I love my strikers, but man, the th one thing I love more than my strikers are my well rounded fighters. You know what I'm saying? My dudes that can win no matter where the fight goes. And I know Khalil is not that guy, but in this spot, it might not even matter. So, you know, I, I think he'll get a knockout here. But, uh, you know, when he fights uh, uh, Jan Blankovich next, uh, you know oh. you know he's going to be faded. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> so, uh, main card time. Mark DeCasey, he's minus 190, and the comeback on Dan the Hangman Hooker is plus 165. Now, 
this is interesting, man, because Dan Hooker is literally a 500 fighter in the UFC. Win one, lose one, win one, lose one, kind of like Andre Feely does. But you can't just say that's going to be the trend, you know, for the rest of his career because you saw the guy we just mentioned, Jan Blankovic. He could never get a UFC win streak. He could never get a UFC win streak in his life. And he just got his first UFC win streak, two wins in a row. So That's what Meldonium does. <laughs> so are we going to see uh, Hooker get his first uh, UFC win streak, or do you think Casey's going to get back on track and uh, teach him a lesson? Another fight I want to stay away from. You know, one thing, you know, before the Jakarta Close fight, you know, the reason why I'm glad I didn't play to Casey was because, you know, I felt like he was a gas out waiting to happen. I felt like, like Roundtree, you know, he would blow himself out in the first and then, Round two and three. But I actually like what I saw from that fight because the calf kicks, you know, that MMA lab calf kick, I mean, shut his leg off. And, I mean, that third round he could have so accepted it. But, I mean, I felt like he made Close quit in the third round. I felt like Close was looking for a way out in the third round. So that just shows me the type of heart that Casey has, that he wasn't willing to uh, just accept defeat and, like, man, this guy's just going to calf kick my legs. That Casey wanted to win that fight. And, you know, the fight against Frankie Perez, I know Frankie Perez is a jobber, but that third round, you know, it was a little hairy in that second. He was getting tired. And what did he do? He had the instincts to fight smart, get a takedown. Let me just seal off the win. That's the type of guys you need on your team. Now, look, Dan Hooker, I've always felt like Dan Hooker was going to figure it out one of these days, and he just hasn't. Now, look, beating Ross Pearson means nothing to me. Or me. Or, <laughs> you know, it might mean something to somebody else betting Hooker. You know, I mean, if you can't beat Ross Pearson... I mean, hey, we got like, look, look, there's it no out, spot for it. If you haven't figured out to be Ross Pearson yet, I mean, there's there's just no business no business for you in the UFC at this point. But you know, so that win means absolutely nothing to me. He should have done it earlier, honestly. <laughs> but uh, Hooker's no slouch, man. Like I said, the dude's like what six foot five eleven, six foot six foot, and I mean. The guy's long as hell. I saw him sparring in Thailand. I mean, he's looking real slick right now. The thing is, can you count on the guy? Is he trustworthy? Is he going to lay another egg? Is he going to lose another? Is he? Can he not put two wins together in a row? You know, those are not the type of guys you like betting on. Look, unless it's a specific spot where his opponent's just like mentally weak or, you know, on the decline. And I don't feel like the case is like uh, the case is like that at all. So I'm going to totally pass. It would either be dog or pass. I think the case is going to win the fight. I feel like it's going to be a close fight, a fight that's up for grabs in the third. And I feel like the case will, you know, stay ahead on the points just by doing overpowering things, maybe maybe slamming him on his head a couple times, you know, just landing a big kick. But I wouldn't be shocked if Hooker won, but my pick is the Casey. It's a fight I'm just going to sit back and enjoy, but uh, I got the Casey. Look, if you're in the UFC and you haven't figured out how to beat Ross Pearson yet, I mean, that's all I got to say, <laughs> man. I, I'm actually very impressed with the Casey. I know he cost a lot of people a lot of money his last fight, but look, he's 23 years old. He had to take his first L. It was what it was. But one thing I really like about the kid, you know, we can talk about his athleticism. We can talk about his dynamicism. We can talk about that unbelievable highlight reel knockout he had over Timo Pakelin. But that's not what I want to talk about, Shaq. What I want to talk about is the fight with Frankie Perez. It's tied one-to-one going to the third round. He had to make a decision there. Both guys were gassed out. If he wanted to win that fight, he had to do whatever it takes to win that fight. And when you're gassed out in that third round, you can't be throwing that spinning shit, which he's yeah, known for. Let's lay on him. So what did he do? He took him down. He grinded out the round. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that's the sign of a future world champion, but th- that's the sign of that's a future world champion. Of, you know what I'm saying? That's the kind of guy you need on your betting team, point blank, period. Look, a, a Frankie Perez, a guy that's known for going to his back repeatedly, when the fact that, like, 
in a, a guy like him being a flashy striker, a guy that likes to make the crowd go ooh and ah, like saying, you know, fuck that. Let me just get this takedown and win the fight. Yeah, so I, I'm with you on this one, man. I'm going to go with Mark DeCasey. Look, Dan Hooker's a very tough guy, man. He's tall for the weight class. He does have that tall man defense, but my question here is, is he going to evolve to a point and find his range and, you know, finally put it all together like you were alluding to? Or is he just destined to be that dude that has the tall man defense for the rest of his career? You know, Mark DeCasey made you know a really good point in his interviews man he's like whenever dan hooker gets to this point he always loses he beats the guys he's supposed to beat but he loses to guys like me and i'm like mark you're right bro you know what i'm saying so i just think mark's gonna be too fast for him too athletic for him and uh, i think he's gonna get this win here now next up in the welterweight division we got carlos the natural born killer conda he's minus 160 the comeback on neil magny is plus 140 now man it's been a long time since we've seen the natural-born killer. In his prime, he would have absolutely mopped the floor with Neil Magny. But uh, now he's coming back after two retirements. Do you think he still has what it takes to beat a guy like Neil Magny? Speaking of Carlos Condit, I mean, I used to be the biggest Carlos Condit fan out there. I mean, you know, speaking of his last fight with Damian Maia, I got super emotional. Um, I think I got robbed on the uh, Barzola and Bochniak decision and something else. And then I parlayed Anthony Pettis and Carlos Condit thinking, you know, Carlos ain't no bitch. He's, you know, he'll weather this early Last time he by- got tapped out was 2006 <laughs> by Pat Healy. You know, you know, <laughs> Damien will take him down the first two rounds, but three, four, and five, I mean, Carlos is going to absolutely butcher him is what I'm thinking. And uh, Carlos went out there and basically gave him the fight and quit. I was in shock at the time. I was like, what the fuck? And you know it is what it is. That's why you don't. Uh, that's why you don't chase. That's why you don't get emotional. And that was a time ago, and I'm completely different now. But look, Carlos, in my opinion, should never be a favorite against a top ten guy. And now look, I understand why he took this fight. I understand why everyone takes a fight with Magny. They think he's the easiest fight in the top ten. They think he's the guy that you can punk out. And look, that's the case when Magny's fighting Dos Anjos or when he's fighting big power strikers like Lorenz who mentally are in a good place at the time you know those guys will get him out but Lorenz before he fought our boy Douglas before he got his life changed twice and uh you know Carlos being minus 160 now look I highly considered Magni but I passed because I I preferred other options because look my thing with Magni is I feel like don't forget Magni beat Kelvin Gasolum now first three rounds so the thing with Magni is like nothing when you bet on Magni, you already know there's going to be some very hairy moments. Look, if Magni eats one behind the ear shot, Magni's the type of guy to, you know, go to a knee and start covering up and, you know, what we like to call pussy shit at times, you know, and it's just unfortunate. Look, the guy's a great fighter. The guy wins fights, though. He's a very good point fighter. Magni's that guy that you'd like to have on your betting team in certain spots because you know that he can outscore some of these guys. And I feel like Carlos, at this stage in his career, is that type of guy. So, like we saw Magni get wins over Gaslam or Hector, those big names, Johnny Hendricks, that he has on his resume, I feel like he's about to add another one on this list because I feel like Carlos is completely done. I feel like Carlos is talking to I feel like Carlos is another guy who's fighting strictly for the money. He needs the money. He needs this 100 grand to come back. So, so you know, he can you know, just pay a few bills here and there, and he'll come back a, a year from now, shop. you know what I'm saying? Open a coffee shop and, you know, set yourself up. And I feel like Magny's that type of guy that sneaks up on guys. I feel like it's probably going to be a controversial split decision where everyone's pissed that Carlos lost, and, and we know Magny. 
will win the fight because Magny's that point fighter. Magny's the guy that likes to throw triple jabs out there, likes to get those double unders and muscle. He's actually very strong, man. The guy took down Hector. He took down Kelvin. I mean, the guy's got some very solid wins, beat Tim Mean. So don't sleep on my boy Neil Magny. Now look, like I said, with Magny, it comes from some very hairy things. When we bet on him against Hector, Jesus Christ. I mean, <laughs> the guy, I was like, Magny, stop being a pussy. Oh, my God. And, you know, he pulled it out. But the thing is, I feel like Magny plays possum a lot. Like, I feel like Magny's not hurt at all. I feel like he just, like... Like, even the young UM fight. <laughs> yeah, I feel like he just, like... Even the, the Padalino fight. Like, I feel like he wasn't hurt at all. Like, I feel like he just... I don't know what it is, why he likes doing that, but... I feel like this is a good fight for Magny to get another big name on his uh, resume. Like I said, I don't think Carlos has any fire left. I feel like he's coming back for that six-figure check. And I feel like even his last... We sat down here and watched him versus Thiago Alves. And I mean... Let's just put it this way. Him versus Thiago Alves, if you watch that now, that shit ain't flying in today's welterweight division. Both those guys <laughs> will get laid stiff. And look, Carlos is one of the best to ever do it, but the guy's 7-6 and six in the UFC. What's his takedown defense area? I mean, Probably 32%. The guy is notoriously known for being able to be wrestled, so I feel like there's definitely past the victory. For Carlos, he just got to punk Magny out, get in his face, knock him out. Magny, see if Magny wants out. But look, that's a, people think that's easy, but... Doing it is actually another thing, but I got Magni all day in this one. You know, it's an interesting fight, man. And when before I talk about how I think Magni's going to take down Carlos Condit, let me preface that by saying, yes, I understand Magni's no D1 All-American, not, e not even close. But the bottom line here is he's good enough to take down Kelvin Gastella multiple times. If that was a three-round fight, that would have been a 30-27 Magni, by the way. So, uh... Yeah, MMA math don't mean shit, obviously. But look, when you're taking down an actual wrestler, not to mention a short, stocky wrestler, means he's got a lower center of gravity, means his takedown defense is going to be way better because, you know, with Condit, he's six foot two. The, dude, the dude's got no takedown defense whatsoever. I think that Magny's not going to have too big of an issue getting those body locks. I really think if he gets that body lock on a guy like Carlos Condit, he is going to be able to take him down. And from there, we know Carlos Condit's got a great guard. We know Carlos Condit off his back. I mean, in his prime, at least, Shaq, he was landing big elbows to the top of the head against the dudes he fought. But, Those uh, days are long <laughs> gone, man. <laughs> I mean, listen, man, I have a WEC belt on my wall signed by Conda and Dominic Cruz. I got a, I got a WEC hoodie. I got a lament over the past natural-born killer. I mean, because, listen, man, you and I were watching that fight with Jake Ellenberg. You and I were watching that first fight with Martin Cammy, even back in the WEC against Miura, that four-round war. I mean, that guy was just one of the most exciting fighters in UFC history. But as you know, when you have that style, you take so many shots, uh, it can only hold up for so long. And these are Carlos Condit's words. These are not my words. He said, I don't feel like I belong at this level anymore. He said that after the Robbie Lawler fight. And then he retired, I then he mean, came he back against it. Maya, and he ate one punch from Maya. He was rocked. He got his guard pass, choked out. You know, he, cho he got he tapped out right away. This is a guy that he would have ate that shot in his prime and laughed at Maya and hit him with three elbows from the bottom. But now those days are long gone. The thing is, uh, is Magny going to drop the ball again? But Magny's 12-5 and five in the UFC. Magny wins Magny, a lot, Magny man. Magny drops the ball to the best. I think Magny's volume is going to be a big issue for Carlos Condit here. And uh, I'm going to go with Magny by split decision. Now, next up, 
in the women's strawweight division. We have Cynthia Calvillo. She's minus 250. The comeback on Carla Esparza is plus 210. Now, man, it's so intriguing. I love this fight because we know Carla likes to grind shit out. We know she wants to take it to the mat. But when you take it to the mat against a chick like Cynthia Calvillo, she's a shark. She can swim in those waters. What do you think about this fight? You know, it's very interesting because, look, I like Calvillo. She's smoking, but look. Long term, I feel like she will definitely take her first L and some others after that because her matching up with the Tisha Torres of the world, the Claudias of the world, the Andrages of the world, the Carolinas of the world, I feel like she, as long uh, unless she makes significant improvements, I feel like on the feet, those chicks will take care of her. Now, look, I feel like this matchup in terms of big names in that division is good for her because... Look at Carla Esparza. I mean, it's not like she's improving. It's just the same basic shit. But the that basic shit beats a lot of chicks. Her only losses are to Randa Marcos, Joanna, and that's it, right? Uh, yeah, she only lost to Joanna right? and Randa Marcos. Yeah. As far as I know, unless she had an early L way back, which... No, I'm talking about in the UFC. Oh, UFC. She, yeah, she had yeah that's it in the UFC. Yeah, exactly. Just Randa Marcos and Joanna. And, you know... That wrestling is very difficult for chicks to deal with. Look, I've bet on Carla in certain spots, you know, against jobbers like Juliana Lima. Because oh, don't remind me, I have Lima. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, I know those chicks won't be able to handle it, and you know, I almost considered her against Moroz, but it was just too high because I know those chicks won't be able to handle it because that wrestling, yeah, the shots are horrendous, but. We know in female MMA that a lot of chicks, they don't know how to deal with that. Now, the thing with Calvillo is I like her her mindset and her jiu-jitsu is fucking fantastic. But when you're fighting Pearl Gonzalez, is she in the company anymore? I don't think so. You know, It's funny. You know what they did for Pearl Gonzalez? <laughs> they sent her, to they sent her down. It's like she got promoted to the fucking you know, minor she, leagues. Exactly. She got sent down. Demoted. She got demoted. Um, she got sent down is what they call it in the pros. And, I mean, look at Pro Gonzalez's last fight. I mean, that chick is fucking horrendous. And then, you know, <laughs> Bobby Cooper, what's her record? Like, two and three, three and three. Two and seven. Exactly. You know, of course she can beat that chick. Now, the one over Calderwood. Now, look. Personally, I understand why she got two 30-27s. But if we're being honest here. She lost every stand-up exchange for about four or five minutes, four four thirty, and then Calderwood, you know, the little fragile girl, the <laughs> mentally weak girl, would get her back taken, and you know, Calvillo stole the rounds. So I I I get it. The thing is, I don't know. I can't sit there and you know just back Calvillo as this chick that's going to be a future world champion, like a lot of people think, because I don't think so. But the thing is, I feel like she might get this one just because Carla's game isn't improving. Carla's the same fighter. The thing is, that fighter wins a lot of fights. So I'm going to go with Calvillo. But I would not be shocked if Carla won this at all because, like I said, I'm not sold on Calvillo being this chick that everyone thinks she is. Granted, I think she's got a good mindset. I think she trains at a good team. Team Alpha Male, I feel like she's surrounded by you know the good, uh, good group of people. But her striking is very green. And it's not like she's this 22, 23-year-old chick. She's 30, 31. So, I mean, she's in the prime right now. So, you know, granted she did does get over this get over this Esparza hunt, but don't sleep on Esparza because she's been around the game forever, man, like way back in the day. And she's a consistent winner. Now, I know she lost to Random Marcos. And Random Marcos is one of those chicks that win, lose, win, lose. So, you know, 
when so what she just Miranda Marcos just lost, so Miranda Marcos is probably gonna beat Juliana Lima. So, you know, she's one of those type of fighters. Now look, I personally thought Carla won that fight. I understand why Miranda won. It was in Canada. My plus two forty <laughs> You know, but I, I scored that for Esparza, but I could get it. She did a lot of stupid shit. You know, those takedowns are very rudimentary, very from way far out and you know, a chick that trains at Alpha Male might be able to see that coming from a mile away, but it's a definitely a dog or pass situation. I'm going to go with Calvillo just because I feel like Esparza gets discouraged a lot. I feel like it's just the same shit over and over, you know. Her stand-up is just the basic, you know, fake the shot low, come back up with the shots high. and then That's just the, the same basic combinations, the same entries, and, you know, we'll see how it goes. But uh, it's a pass fight for me. I'm not sold on either of these chicks. Yeah, look, dogger pass bet-wise, but pick-wise, I'm actually going to go with Cynthia Calvillo. I know she's minus 250, so it's not a big surprise. But look, here's why, man. You recall that fight with Randa Marcos and Carlos Barza where I cashed that plus 240 on Marcos. And, you know, you could argue that she lost that fight, but it doesn't matter. She won. But what I want to talk about, more importantly than winning or losing, was there were certain scrambles in that fight where it almost seemed like Carla wasn't setting up her takedowns well, and then she'd get in kind of a crucifix situation, eat some big elbows to the head. And I'll tell you this right here, right now on half the battle shack. If you uh, if you shoot in sloppy against a chick like Cynthia Calvillo, if you leave your neck hanging against a chick like Cynthia Calvillo, she's gonna take your back and uh, she's gonna finish you. And you know, you recall that fight with Bobby Cooper, man, where she went from a front headlock. You know, she was going for a dart choke. And then she switches it to a to a back tick. I was like, damn, that shit was smooth as hell, man. If she's on that, bro. Well, the reason I'm not worried about her stand-up because both their striking sucks. You know what I'm saying? So this is contested on the feet. It's going to be some really ugly shit. But on the ground, it's going to be some beautiful scrambles. I personally favor the jujitsu of Cynthia Calvillo over the wrestling of Carla Sparza. Look, I respect them both a lot. Sparza, you know, I know people like to shit on her, but... I respect the hell out of her, man. This is a chick that has a win against Rose Namajunas. And not just a win, Shaq. She finished her inside the distance, something Joanna could not do. She also has a win over Tisha Torres on tough. So Carla Spars has been in there with the best, and she's beat the best. But the thing is, to be the best, you got to beat the best. So let's see if Cynthia Calvillo can come out here and upset the former champion. Regardless of the result, I will not be surprised, but I simply feel as if the scrambling ability and jujitsu of Cynthia Calvillo will beat the wrestling of Carlos Barza. So let's tune in Saturday night to find out. Here we go. The people's main event. Holy shit, son. Khabib, the eagle, Nurmagomedov. He's minus 280. The comeback on Edson Jr. Barboza is plus 240. Now look, man. If Khabib wins this fight, he will be 25-0. and 0. One does not simply go 25-0 and 0 in pro MMA, let alone in the 155-pound weight class, the deepest division in the entire sport, Shaq. What Khabib's been able to do is just, you know, unheard of. I mean, when you manhandle Dos Anjos the way he did, I mean, there was points in that fight where Dos Anjos was looking at the ref begging, you know, for <laughs> for the ref to let Khabib to, to separate him because he was that frustrated, bro. And, I mean, we saw the Michael Johnson fight. You know, a lot of people like to make a deal like he was rocked. Yeah, he was a little rock. It's Michael Johnson. Michael Johnson's fast. And Michael Johnson cracked him. But I don't think the fight was ever in trouble of being over by any means. And we saw what he did to Michael Johnson, who's got some of the best takedown defense in the lightweight division, or at the time he did. And, I mean, the guy's won every fight he's been in. 
the thing with that is, like we said about a lot of people, like we said about Justin Gaethje, who was, what, 18-0 or something like that? Going undefeated at the lightweight division. Just the UFC. Just the UFC, period. And MMA, period. It just doesn't happen. Like, you don't go undefeated. I don't give a fuck who you are. You could be the greatest thing ever to hit the sport. You will take an L. And we don't know when it's going to be with Khabib. But trust me, he's going to lose one of these next two upcoming fights. The thing is, I actually think he's a, I actually think he would dominate Ferguson. I felt like I've always felt that Edson Barbosa was the match, the worst matchup for him because look at Edson's history. Now I know Edson in the past. I feel like Edson got over a big hump his last fight against Stariush because in the past, the way Benil come came at him. I mean, Benil was kicking harder than him, punching harder than him, taking it to him, and I mean, in the past Edson would completely get broken by that. We remember the Jamie Farner fight. We remember. You know, the Castillo, the Danny Castillo fight where he got wobbled a hundred million times and he, he pulled that one off. But we've seen him get punked out in the past. You know, guys put that pressure on him and him just, you know, the Michael Johnson fight, for example, you know, where Michael just took it to him. for Jamie Varner. To Jamie, yeah, Jamie Varner. And, uh, you know, I feel like he got over a hump because in the past he would have totally got flustered by that. And, you know, he timed that beautiful flying knee as, you know, uh, Benil was getting a little tired and he saw it coming, that takedown. And I feel like that could totally happen in this fight. Edson's that type of guy that, you know, you sit back and you just wait for him to do something crazy, you know. You wait for him to land a spinning head kick or a flying knee or a body kick because he's just that type of guy. Now, look, I understand one takedown. If you're betting on Edson, you have to go in here with the mindset. I feel like plus 240 is an absolute joke. There should never, ever be a plus 240 next to Edson Barbosa name in any fight. And, you know... Like you said, betting on Edson, you have to go in there with the mindset, like, look, one takedown, this might be over. <laughs> we might get back up in the second, but, I mean, we're probably going to be completely gassed because Khabib has that type of top game. Khabib has that type of that type of pressure, that ground and pound, the Kimuras. I mean, the guy is vicious on the mat. Now, on the feet, I feel like Khabib presents a lot of openings. It's just that these guys, when they get tied up with them, they just have no answer for it. So that's why I have to pass on Edson because, you know, it's just a matter, is his top game, is his clinch game just that good where a guy just can't deal with it? Because it obviously seems like it. I mean, we've when you manhandle Dos Anjos like that and Dos Anjos can't get up, like, Dos, Dos Anjos has been a black belt since he's like 19 years old, you know what I'm saying? We've seen Dos Anjos on the mat just calm as ever, sweeping guys. We saw like, That's how he did yeah, in the exactly. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and like, Dos Anjos is looking up at Rafael Cordero like, this motherfucker won't get off me, you know what I'm saying? So, it's just, you know, but I do think, I, I think Edson's going to pull this one off with something flashy. Look, I'm not going to bet it because like I said, for the reasons I just said, Khabib might be the best in the world. But the thing is, you never want to count a guy like Edson out. It's dog or pass 100%. You don't bet on an undefeated guy in the UFC's lightweight division at minus 280 unless you truly believe the guy's, you know, the future of the division, which he could be. I'm not saying he's not. But this is that, this is the 100% that spot where you take the dog in this fight because, like we said, guys don't go undefeated in this game. We've seen it time and time and time again, especially in the last few months. So I'm going to go with Edson. I feel like this is going to be Khabib's first L, but I'm going to sit back and enjoy it. Whoever wins this fight, if Khabib wins this fight, he's 100% getting the title shot. I mean, 25, 26 and 0 or 25? 25, 25 yeah, about to be. Yeah. If he wins. Be, if he wins, 25 and 0. So if Khabib wins this fight, I mean, holy shit. Man, it's such an incredible fight. And, you know, 
It's just about, is this finally going to be the time that Khabib takes that first L, or is he going to break Edson? Look, historically speaking, Edson struggles with pressure fighters, man, and that's the way to beat him, man. With Khabib, you know, the first minute or two, he kind of circles around, doesn't do much, but when it's time to turn up, if there's one guy that can turn up, it's Khabib Nurmagomedov. I mean, who else is in there throwing double flying knees against Rafael Dos Anjos? Who else is in there, you know, eating those shots from Michael Johnson? And then he was like, all right, now I'm going to suplex this guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, now I'm going to pick him up, walk him halfway across the octagon, and slam him. So it's just one of these things where is he going to be able to do that to Edson? Also, I could see a situation where Edson's really picking him apart with big leg kicks, big body shots. He's circling off. He's recentering for four minutes straight. And then the last minute of the round, he gets taken down, gets pounded on, and then when he gets up, he's not the same anymore. You know what I'm saying? And then then when uh, the takedown attempt comes, he's trying to go for guillotines, which is totally uncharacteristic, which is what Michael Johnson did because that's the kind of pressure the desperation that Khabib brings to the table, man. But here's the thing. He's been out since 2016 for a reason, man. And uh, you try to come back earlier this year, but you remember what happened. That body shut down, son. When he, when you pull out... surgeries, all the weight cuts. When you pull out of a title fight on the day of the fight, or actually on the day of weigh-ins, you don't even show up. I mean, that says a lot about the state of his body. Like, can he even make 55? Now, let's say he does make 55 this weekend. Is it going to be a situation like... And please pardon... Please, please bear with me when I make this example. Remember when BJ Penn tried to make 45? And it was just like, bro, like, you know what I'm saying? He's gassing out after one round, but it was so forced. Yeah, he made it to the scales, but it was a skeleton. It was just a really bad thing. Now, obviously, Khabib's got a lot more life, a lot more gas in the tank than BJ. That's not what I'm trying to say here, guys. What I'm trying to say here is that, is this finally that time where, look, man, deliver the kidneys all this shit shutting down and now you're trying to now you're trying to lose that weight again Edson Barbosa who will kick that liver in so it's just (laughs) one of those situations where is he gonna look like not the same guy anymore or is it still gonna be the same dominant Khabib Nurmagomedov that we know so that's why it's a hard fight for me to call and one thing I love about Edson I love his discipline standing. Obviously, we all love his leg kicks. We all love those fast combinations. We all love the spinning shit. And like I mentioned earlier on the show, only man in UFC history to win a fight via leg kick, body kick, and head kick knockout. I mean, that's the kind of badass this guy is. But one thing I love about him is his footwork, man. Because he'll get off on these combinations, then immediately he always centers back to the middle of the octagon. He always resets. The dude is so fucking... uh, you know, technical is a word that everyone uses. There's a better He's, word than technical. That's on a different level than technical. It's so systematic. <laughs> it's so – there's a purpose behind everything he does in the stand-up exchanges. I know in the past we've criticized his chin and stuff like that. But the thing is, man, it's not necessarily that his chin is that bad. It's just that he does kind of falter under pressure a little bit. But like you said, he might have turned a corner he in that Benny fight because I'll tell you this. Benny's striking is on a completely different level than Khabib's. I mean, Benny, you know, he's got the leg kicks, he's got the knees, he's got the punches, he mixes it up. Benny's a guy that outstruck Rashid Magomedov for three rounds in Mexico City Elevation. Benny's a guy that beat Vic. Benny's a guy that beat Michael Johnson. And uh, fucking Edson went out there and knocked this guy out devastating fashion after taking his best storm for seven straight minutes. That says a lot about Edson. Edson's also about 32, 33. So right now he is in the prime of his career. So is this that time where he's going to go out there, get this big upset, knock out the very feared, the respected, the undefeated Khabib Nurmagomedov and get a title shot of his own, man. You know what I'm saying? Because, look, Edson's been in the UFC a long time. I know he wants to crack. I know he wants to get in there and get a title shot. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. 
Either way, the winner of this fight is going to make a statement. I don't see this being a split decision type fight at all. I see the winner of this fight winning Somebody dominantly. Quitting. Someone's going to get it taken to them. I hope. I hope Edson wins this fight. That nothing will make me happier than seeing you know the best striker in the UFC lightweight division knock out the best wrestler in the UFC lightweight division. Gut says Khabib's going to win, but heart says Edson. No money on the line. Let's fucking go, Edson. Take care of this shit. Well, Shaq, it's time for the main event, and uh, we have a special guest for the main event. And joining us now is UFC Top 15 lightweight James the Texecutioner, Vic. James, what's going on? What's up, man? Nothing. Just got done training. Awesome to hear. Well, dude, listen, man. You called me about a month ago. You said bet on Holly Holm and bet big. Well, now you're on Half the Battle, the number one MMA betting show on the web. Let the fans know why you're taking Holly Holm here, dude. Yeah, stylistically, this to me, this is this is a tailor-made fight for Holly Holm. The only thing she has to avoid is really getting in a clinch battle with with um, Cyborg because Cyborg is probably not going to just shoot no dynamic blast double. So she's just going to have to avoid the clinch so she can't get drugged down to the ground. But I just think that stylistically, Holly Holm is a way better striker. I don't understand why she's such a big underdog. I mean, I'm happy she was because I, I bet a lot of money on her. But I just don't understand understand why she's such an underdog she just her her style play i mean cyborg's style is tailor-made for for her home she's gonna move she's uh, cyborg's gonna come right at her she's gonna be available to be hit and she could cyborg land something big possibly but i mean holly home is a world, multiple time world champion boxer her movement is, is phenomenal her kicking game is good and she and she, her defense is good she doesn't take a lot of shots in any of her fights and i think that the, there's a good chance, you know, this this being a five round fight, I think there's a good chance that Cyborg gets finished. Honestly, I think that she gasses out, and if she doesn't, if she don't pull something off in the first two rounds, I think Holly Holm gasses her out and and, and could potentially land one of those big kicks or something and knock her out. Vic, I, you know, I gotta play devil's advocate on this one, man. So, do you not? Are you not concerned at all that's going to go down like the Durandamy fight? Not, not at all. Because I promise you, let me tell you something. If Durain, Durain, Duranemi fought Cyborg, she would, she would whip her ass on the feet too. I'm telling you, Cyborg is not the level of striker that Jermaine Randomy or Holly Holm is. She's just a brutal girl, a mean girl with a good chin and good power. But she, but like, could Cyborg beat Duranemi 100 percent? Because she would probably take her down and finish her. But on the ground, on the feet, she's not better than either one of those girls. She's not. And I think that uh, there's a difference between fighting that eight-time Muay Thai world champion that's also the same, that's the same height, that's long, that knows how to really fight a skilled fighter, uh, another skilled striker, and, and then Cyborg just being an aggressive brawler. There's, there's a difference in the two. So another thing that I have to ask is, are you worried at all about Cyborg cutting off that ring and not letting Holly Holm get off on that footwork, which she is known for? Because Holly loves to run around the ring and point fight, which is great for winning decisions. But Cyborg does hit like a truck. Are you not worried about her cutting off that ring? If there is, if, here, here's my question. Okay, has Holly Holm been cut off at all from, by anybody else and been caught with anything big where she's been hurt and, and, and got knocked out? Has that ever happened? I mean, besides Durandamy? But Durandamy didn't knock her out. That's true, but she did hurt. And that was a close fight. She she cut her off decent, and she landed some points. But that was still, you got to be honest, that was a close fight. I thought Durandamy won too, but it was a close fight. This is true. I, I just, I, if, I you're, if you're if you're betting, here's the thing: if you're betting on, on Cyborg to win, 
uh, win this fight. You better bet on her to win it on the ground because she ain't going to outstrike Holly Holm. I'm sorry. Now, don't get me wrong. Anything can happen. And this is MMA. Anybody can win a haymaker. But I'm not betting my money on her landing a big punch and knocking out Holly Holm. I'm not doing it. There ain't no way. Yeah, well, I mean, I sure as hell ain't laying money on a minus 340 in a spot like this. I'll, I'll tell you that. Well, yeah, you know, I feel like he made some good points. Like, look, Cyborg has had everything come easy to her. I feel like everything is, when's the last time she faced any real adversity in the cage? Never. I mean, exactly. So, you know, what happens if she just freaks out when things start to get rough and Holly is, you know, absorbing the shots well? And like we said, Holly's honestly more experienced in terms of UFC level because she's been in all these big fights, the Rousey fight, the Misha Tay fight, even though she lost, even the Durandamy fight, these main events. And, you know, like we said, uh, Cyborg ain't been through no adversity. Now I feel like Cyborg on paper has more ways to win considering that she's probably better on the mat. The thing is, Holly trains with Izzy style wrestling, going to be very hard to take her down. But I'm interested to see what happens when Cyborg gets hit on the chin clean. You know, what's going to happen? Because she's not used to getting hit in any of her fights. I will say this, man. You know, a lot of us were surprised when uh, Lena Landsberg made it to the second round with Evinger her. Evinger made it to the third. Evinger made it to the fourth. Fourth, fourth, yes. Yeah, so. so, Vic, you might be on to something, bro. You know, it's funny because I... Do you guys honest to God think, in your mind, no, be serious, that Holly Holm can go five rounds if she can't get a knockout? Do you really think that... Or a, a submission. Do you really think, in your mind, that she can fight five rounds and, and outpoint Holly Holm on the feet um, and win a point in the season? Um, Her only way is to land something, a, a haymaker... Or get it to the mat. There's no way that she has the call. She gasses out after two rounds, y'all. Have y'all not seen this girl fight before? Now, granted, it's because she goes zero to 100 and just takes off and, and just sprints the whole way. But what happens when she sprints and it don't work out for her? you really think she can fight 25 minutes? I honestly do think it's going to go five rounds. The thing I would say, though, look at Holly Holmes' history, though. Like, the Valentina Shevchenko fight. Granted, Valentina's more efficient than Cyborg. Definitely a lot lighter. Definitely a lot faster. But she lost she lost the five round decision because she was, you know, inaccurate, missing a lot of shots, getting countered coming in. And then the fight with um Durandamy just got started too late, lost the first three rounds. But like I said, I feel like Durandamy is the hardest the best striker in any female weight class. And then um the Betch Cohea fight, you know, even though she KO'd Betch Stiff the lead up to that fight was, I mean, very inactive. A lot of staring at each other. So that's the reason why, you know, me personally, I would patch this because, like, is Holly the type of chick that you can count on to stay ahead on points, or are you going to have to look for a one-head-kick knockout? So you think she's going to outpoint her or knock her out? Who, me? I, I, I think that she has a chance to finish her in the later rounds, but I, I 100% think that, Honestly, guys, I'm not even being funny. I, I don't understand how she's even an underdog. I think these odds should be even. I, I really believe that. I mean, I, I get that, that Cyborg is a way better grappler. I do understand that. But Holly Holm hasn't really been down that much. I mean, she did get finished, you know, by Misha, but I don't think, I mean, she got finished on the ground, but, she, you know, she survived, uh, you know, one of the rounds, and they, they did go five rounds, but she's a mover. So she doesn't get taken out a lot because she does move her feet. I mean, that's the way I fight. I don't get taken out a lot, and if I do, I get up quick, but I'm a mover. And I just don't understand how y'all think that she's a better, she's even half the striker than Holly Holm. I promise you, even in the best Gohea fight, Holly Holm may have been winning more in the season, but she was winning that fight. No. And she has no problem winning a boring And it may be boring, and she may run for five but she's going to win a, a, a point battle. I, I really believe that with all my heart. I think she easily wins a point battle. Well, dude, I, I hope you cash this bet, man. I mean, and shit, I mean, this dude's persuasive. You talking me into a bet, Vic? You better, Daniel, you better take the bet, bro. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be calling me, texting me, saying, God, I wish I would have took Vic's pick. 
I know, man. Vix picks have been killing it all year. So, dude, before we let you go, man, I mean, I heard your interview uh, on BJPen.com. We're aware of the situation right now. So, is it looking like you and Trinaldo in Texas? You know what? I I haven't even heard. You know what? I heard. I talked to Sean uh, week a week week and a half ago, and he said I'll get back to you in a few days. He t- I talked to him. Uh, actually, you know, I talked to him on Wednesday, I believe, of last week. And he said, I'll get back to you, and I haven't heard a word from him, so um, uh, I was waiting to see. So I, um, I'm traveling right now, so I haven't really hit him up or anything like that, but uh, maybe tomorrow I'll go ahead and hit him up. I'll, uh, I'll hit him up um, tomorrow or Saturday when I, when I finally get to camp. But he said last week, he said, get ready, be in camp. He said, get, start getting ready. I'm going to get you on the card. And I'm assuming that, that that's the only fucking dude that's going to take the fight because the rest of them ain't. Yeah, I mean, we know Trinaldo will fight anyone, anytime, any place. What do you think, man? He's a good southpaw. He's experienced, tough dude. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, he's a this dude's a serious fighter. I mean, he's not a, he's not a joke. I mean, the dude won seven fights in a row in the UFC. I mean, he can fight. Um, uh, uh, I mean, it's still it's it's, it's still a best case scenario for me because because he he's ranked above me. You know, I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm not. I mean, I, I really don't want to fight someone ranked below me at this point. I mean, I, with, with the record I have in the UFC and. Uh, He's still ranked above me, so it's, at least it's still a step up. And um, uh, even if it's only one step up, you know. And uh, I mean, he's a tough matchup, but I mean, of course, I think I'm going to win. Yes, sir. Well, Vic, man, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us, man. I hope you cash this bet, man. Yes, sir. I'll I'll, I'll be texting you um, uh, after the main event on Friday, uh, saying I got paid. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, Vic, man, you take care and best of luck in camp. Yes, sir. Later, guys. Thank you. So, man, Vic made some really good points, dude. So now now we got to get down to the pick. Are you going with Cyborg or are you going with Holm? I'm going with Cyborg, man. Now, look, I'm not sold on Cyborg long term um, just because I feel like, you know, I have a speculation that, you know, she's one of these, if she gets cracked on the chin, which she hasn't been cracked on the chin in any of these fights, that maybe, you know, she's getting a little up there in age. And, you know, Holly Holm is just the type of chick where I just can't trust, man. I bet on her against Misha Tate. We had that fight in the bag. And she got choked out. And then, you know, against Val- I bet on Valentina Chevchenko because I knew that style. She's not very accurate. She just likes to grunt a lot and make sense. Ish, ish. You know what I'm saying? That type of thing, the Marina Morose type thing. And, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> ish, 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 ish. <laughs> just making a bunch of sounds, but not really landing shit. She, she could have been a pro tennis player in exactly, another life. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're, them two, for example, I mean, it's good on points if you can like, you know, you know, find a way to make it work. But she really, she's very inaccurate, except with the left kick. And then, you know, you can't trust her on points, in my opinion. You just can't trust her going to the scorecard. She's let people that are better on her. I know she has let down time in and time out again. And, you know, people saying she won that Duranemi fight. She didn't win Look, shit. I bet her in that Duranemi fight. She did shit. not win a she fucking. She lost thing. the first three rounds, arguably the fourth. But we'll be nice. We'll give her the last two. And Duranemi won the first three. And uh, you know, Betchko Hager. I mean. If you can't beat Betch Gohea at this one. <laughs> but, if you're in the UFC and you haven't figured out. If you're in the out. top 10 if, and if you can't beat Betch Gohea, then, you know, I don't know what to say. But uh, it was a good knockout. She better do that in this fight. That's it. I don't understand the 10-unit cyborg bets. I don't, I mean, it's definitely dog or pass, but, you know, it's just I'm something I'm going to sit back. Like I said, the easy money is opening up the FS1 prelims. So, man. 
Dog or pass from a bet perspective, no doubt about it. Plus 310, Holly Holm. I mean, you're going to play that before you play a minus 340 Cyborg all day. And Vic made some good arguments, man, because, look, Cyborg does kind of gas out a little bit. You know, you saw that Avenger fight. That was kind of ugly. Not not only that, man. I, yeah, she did dominate, but <laughs> Avenger ain't shit. Avenger got finished in the first round by Yana, bro. Don't talk about my girl, Yana. <laughs> I, I, bet, I bet Yana in that fight, by the way, bro. But, uh... The Avenger fight's one thing, and then also the Lena Landsberg fight, not getting her out of there in the first. I know. Look, she won. She dominated. It was what it was. Holly Holm does have a questionable chin, man. I mean, even Ronda was Ronda rocking this Wobbler, chick. Valentino Wobbler. I mean, she, she got knocked out the ring in a boxing match, yeah, too. Sure, So it's one of these things where is she going to get caught by Cyborg and go down? Or eventually, will she frustrate Cyborg so much to the point where she can circle off, get off on that, ash, ash, you know what I'm saying, that point fighting game? And then win a decision. So, gut says Cyborg, man. I, I hope my boy Vic wins this fight. You know what I'm saying? To get this, uh, get this plus 310 underdog play. So, let's see what the fuck happens. Now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is the seven times DraftKings qualifier himself. I'm talking about Kyle Marley. Kyle, how's it going, man? Great. Ready for another fight card. Uh, that week off felt like it was a month off, so... I can't can't handle too many more of those. I'm glad we got some this weekend. Well, man, I mean, not only do we have a card this weekend, it's the last UFC card of 2017. What a year it's been, man. But real quick, before we talk about that, I mean, you just uh, got flown out to Miami. You just did some damage over there. Uh, how was that experience? Oh, uh, man, it was amazing. Uh, DraftKings treated us like kings. Uh, it was free food, free drinks almost all weekend. The hotel was great. I uh, didn't finish where I wanted to in the contest, but I'll take five grand, I guess, and a free trip. Can't complain too much about it, but hoping to go back next year. It was it was a great time, and I definitely suggest if you got the bankroll for it to chase a live final because it's worth it. You know, for some people, that's fifty units profit, Kyle. So I mean, not 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 too shabby, my friend. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I hear you. So, man, I mean. This last card of the year is coming up, and normally, you know, we start the, at the bottom, we go to the top. Let's start at the top and go to the bottom, man, because this main event between Cyborg and Holly Holm, it's real interesting. Because on one hand, you look at it, you see Cyborg, she destroys pretty much every chick she's in there with. Devastating Muay Thai, but Holly Holm, she's got that point fighting style. She's got that grunt and run, you know what I'm saying, when she gets off on that ish, ish, you know what I'm saying, bro? She's got that shit going <laughs> down, so it's about... Are you willing to take the shot at plus 305 to find out if she can be the first uh, woman in UFC history to defeat Cyborg? Or do you think uh, Cyborg is going to continue her devastating ways and knock out Holly Holm? Uh, if I had to bet this fight, I think I would rather go with home side and just take the plus 305 right now. Uh, I can see how she wins this fight, so I am interested in her a little bit. However you got to pick Cyborg to win. Her style is just a little too much for pretty much every woman in the world. And I, I think eventually she's going to get to home. But like you said, she's a point fighter. She likes to run around the cage. Uh, I don't know how well that will work with, with Cyborg. She's straight ahead at all times. So I'm interested to see how these styles clash. But I just think Cyborg has more ways to win. So a DraftKings perspective, I would rather, I think, have Cyborg uh, just because she's likely to outscore her salary of 9300 uh home on the other hand when she wins the only, the only time she scored high was against ronda um other than that she's scoring like 60 points and wins so even if she gets that here she's really not doing much with a 6900 salary so i think in DraftKings, i prefer cyborg but if i had to bet this fight 
why not just take the shot on home? I'm not going to lay 335 on Cyborg. That being said, though, man, I mean, you think Cyborg's going to cover my 9,300 salary? Because uh, that's no that's no easy task to cover. Uh, yeah, I think I think it would be hard for her not to, especially with five rounds to work with. Um, she's not going to let home run around the cage like Jermaine Durandamine did. So she's going to come forward, and if she, if she gets a knockdown, she's going to follow those up with punches. She might even try and get this on the ground where home really doesn't have much to do down there. Uh, and I could see her getting some ground and pound for a finish. Um, her first fight, she scored 116. Her second fight, 134. And then the last fight against Evinger, she had 92. So I think she's got a really good shot of going over that 9,300 price tag. You brought up a really interesting point, man. You said that, you know, she's not going to let Holly run around the ring kind of like Jermaine Durandamy did. Can you kind of emphasize, uh, you know, wh- why you say that? I mean, when have you ever seen Cyborg take her time? You know, she's... She's not scared of anybody, I don't think. So she will be coming forward. She might be a little more cautious than she usually is because home is the best fighter she's ever fought. But there's no way she's going to be scared not to come in. And I think she's going to be full forward, try to get her against the fence and let the bombs fly. So, man, this co-main event of the evening, honestly, it's the most intriguing fight on paper, you know, pre-fight. Because when it actually happens uh, on Saturday night, you know, it could be one-sided for either guy. That being said, before the fact, I'm just so intrigued by it. You know, obviously, we know the deal here, man. Either Edson's about to outstrike Khabib or Khabib's going to take him down and pound him out. Which way are you leaning? Uh, I think Khabib's the way to go here just because of his style. It's what you want in DraftKings. Um, the only way Barboza is going to win is just by getting the knockout probably early in the first or second. And I don't see many strikes coming with that. I think it would be a, a one-hit, Khabib falls, and it's over. So I think maybe he's got a ceiling of around 95 or something like that, which is solid for his price tag, but that's best-case scenario. Uh, Khabib has so many ways to pay off his price tag of 9,100. If he wins, he's going to get it to the ground the entire fight if he doesn't finish it down there. So he's averaging 108.6 fantasy points throughout his UFC career. Uh, So that's way more than that 91 that you're going to need here. And I think he is going to get the win. I think he is probably going to get a decision, just beat the hell out of Barbosa for three rounds. Uh, and then he's going to get that title shot. I got to ask you, what did Khabib score in that fight with Michael Johnson? Because, you know, it's funny. That fight was in 2016. Khabib was about 23-0 and at the time. And I thought I was some genius picking Michael Johnson at plus 260, thinking that finally he had to take his first L. And uh, we found out uh, I- I'm no genius. Khabib beat the fucking shit out of him. How many, how many points did he score there? 120, so that's pretty damn solid. Uh, and then the fight before that, he had 139. So he's he's a killer in DraftKings. He's a killer in real life, and you just want those points that come with it. So I'm, I want to invest in Khabib. I think this is a good card to do it. So Cynthia Calvillo is taking on the former champ, Carla Esparza. And I know Cynthia's favorite here, but we can't forget, Carla's got wins over Rose Nama Yunus inside the distance, Kyle. And she also beat Tisha Torres. I see a lot of people taking the shot on Esparza. I understand why. But that being said, Kyle, we know Cynthia, she's a shark on the mat. We know Carla wants to take her to the mat. That's right into Cynthia's world. Do you think it's going to be the wrestling of Carla Esparza or the jiu-jitsu of Cynthia Calvillo that's going to be the difference here? Um, my pick to win would be Calvillo. I think she'll end up being a little bit better everywhere. But the problem is she's 9,200. She's right under Cyborg in DraftKings. And I have a real hard time clicking her name over Cyborg's. So I would lean towards Esparza because on this card, 
the DraftKings pricing is pretty jacked up. They have no mid-range, so you have to have two underdogs. No matter what, you have to have at least two underdogs on your team. So you got to go hunting for the dog somewhere. I think this is one I like taking the shot on. Uh, I don't see Calvillo just destroying her in the first round, so I think Esparza has a decent floor. Um, I can see her getting a win if the wrestling does work out for her. And if she does win, she really doesn't need to score too highly since you got to have two dogs that hit. So I would rather go ahead and take Esparza rather than paying up for Calvillo. The only thing I can say about Calvillo is everyone's going to think the way I'm thinking. You're not going to want to pay for Calvillo when she's right under Cyborg and right above Khabib. So everyone's going to go to Esparza or they're going to fade Calvillo. So you can get her at real low ownership. And if she does get maybe 10 takedowns on the wrestler or a whole bunch of advances... She could pay off big if she scores big. So, man, obviously, you know Carlos Condit's making his return. You and I have spoken about this privately. He's taking on Neil Magny, and it's super interesting, man, because you and I both know in Carlos Condit's prime, he smashes this dude, and it's not even going to be a closely contested battle. He'd run right through him. But Carlos Condit has retired two times in a row. He retired after the Robbie Lawler fight. He retired after the Damian Maia fight. He even said after the Robbie Lawler fight, that he doesn't uh, feel like he belongs on this level anymore. Now, that was against the champ at the time. Obviously, Neil Magny is not the champ, and we know Neil Magny has been exposed uh, his fair share of times as well. Now, Kyle, you picked Neil Magny to beat Kelvin Gastelum at about plus 325. You were on half the battle for that episode. It was a very expert pick. Are you going to pick him again here as an underdog against the returning natural-born killer? Now I'm going with the natural-born killer here. I've seen nothing from Magny to think he can beat uh, an even faded Condit, really. Uh, even if we're not getting the same Condit that we got three years ago, I don't see how he's so worn that he's down to a Neil Magny level. Um, and I, I, like, I told you before, I like to go off what I see. I don't watch film to waste my time and go guessing how Condit's going to look. So i got to go off with what I've seen. Uh, I, I'm writing off that Maya fight because Neil is no Maya. And you said that after the Lawler fight, he said he doesn't know if he belongs in that division. Well, he should have won that fight. Therefore, how can the champ not belong in that division at the top anymore? So all I've seen from him is just that terrible takedown D. Um, and I don't see Magny really exploiting it too much. He doesn't go for too many takedowns. I think we're going to get a high-paced stand-up fight here that natural con- uh, I mean that the natural-born killer is going to get the best of. Uh, and he throws enough strikes to where he can actually score pretty high in a decision in three rounds. So my preferred play here in uh, betting or DK would be Condit. I like him quite a bit. I had him parlayed with Jimmy Rivera, so now I just got him straight. So won't won't be too much of a return, but I'll take a win anyway. I can get it. Uh, but like I said, you're going to have to get two dogs somewhere. I think Neil Magny will be a popular one on DraftKings because he is the highest priced one. So if you got to get two, I feel like, People are going to go as mid-range as they can, and since he's the first one under the favorites, I feel like they're going to be clicking on his name. A lot of people are fading uh, fading Condit, and I love when that happens. I love when everyone's saying somebody's done uh, because I, I usually end up jumping the way the other way, and, and, it, and it gains me a lot of points via ownership because everyone's on the loser because they faded him, and then I got a low-owned guy uh, sitting at the top of a tournament. Yeah, I know. That's a that's. 
great insight, but I got to know a little bit more of the Big Marley perspective. Look, when you pick Neil Magny to beat Kelvin Gastelum, he went out there, great body lock takedowns, and as you mentioned earlier, Kyle, you said one flaw in Condit's game is his takedown defense. Now, I'm not going to sit here and act like Neil Magny is some D1 wrestler because he absolutely isn't, but that being said, do you not think that if he took down someone like Kelvin that he can also take down a guy like Condit? No, I definitely think he can take down a Condit. Uh, but what's he going to do with it when he's down there? I just I think Condit will end up getting back up. Um, maybe we're, I, I know Magny can go forever, but he's not a wrestler, so a, a wrestling game plan will not benefit his cardio at all. Uh, so I think eventually he will wear down if he's going with that game plan, and Condit will pick him apart in the later rounds. Uh, I'm thinking the decision from Condit, but I could even see a late finish here if that is the case. So. Uh, I just don't see too many ways Magny gets this win other than if Condit really is that faded, and I just haven't seen anything that makes me believe he is. So Khalil Roundtree's making his return. He's taking on the newcomer Mikhail Alexa Jaychuk, and basically the deal here is, man, you already know the deal, Kyle. Either Khalil Roundtree's going to knock you out in the first round, or uh, chances are if it gets past the first round, or if the fight hits the mat one time, you know, he has gotten tapped out, and he's not afraid to tap that mat. You know what I'm saying, man? Kind of like old-school Melvin Gillard, super dangerous on the feet, but you uh, you threaten that neck, and uh, it could be good night, Irene. That being said, I think he's the favorite for a reason. You think he's going to come out? I think he does uh, knock him out here probably in the first round. Uh, the other guy doesn't have many subs on his record, so I haven't seen anything that makes me think he can definitely get it here. I know Roundtree has nothing on the ground for him, but uh, I think they're going to want to stand and bang, and – Hope that one of them goes down. So I think the better play is Roundtree. Uh, I think he would be a better play in cash because he's probably a safe 90, maybe 100 points. Um, where in GPPs, you really need him to outscore everybody because he's the highest price at 9,400. So I think I would rather just fade him in GPPs and hope he doesn't score high or maybe hope the I, I just don't think I want the other guy to get the submission either because I don't see me having much of him. I don't think he's likely to win, and I don't want to punt that low. When I have to have two dogs, you're going to have to have two of them hit, and I don't think he's likely to be one of them. So I'd rather go to Roundtree or nothing here, but like I said, cash only. Uh, let's fade him in GPPs. So an interesting lightweight fight that got added to the main card is Mark DeCasey versus Dan Hooker. Now, it's interesting because Mark DeCasey, he was undefeated until his last fight with Drakkar Close. But man, I've seen some uh, some flashes, uh, I don't want to say brilliance, but I've seen a lot of potential from Mark DeCasey. He does some real athletic shit with those spins. And also, I saw some very good fight IQ in that Frankie Perez fight when it was tied 1-1. to He had to make a decision if he wanted to win that fight. He went to his wrestling and he won the fight. Now with Dan Hooker, I respect him as well. Very exciting guy. But he is a 500 fighter, Kyle. He wins one, loses one, wins one, loses one. Now obviously... That doesn't mean that that's going to be the story for the rest of his career. He could change that here with a win. Kind of like uh, Jan Blankovic did when he fought Jared Cannonier. You know, he was also a guy that could never win two in a row, and then he finally won two in a row. It was what it was. That being said, I personally think the athleticism and uh, dynamicism of Mark DeCasey is going to be the difference. Are you are you feeling the same way, or are you thinking there's going to be an upset here? Yeah, I like DeCasey a lot in this fight. Uh, I think the wrestling um, is really the key. If he wants to wrestle, this fight's all his. But I think he can win it on the feet, too. I think he can knock Hooker out, and I think he can win the decision on the feet. Um, but what I really want when I'm picking him in DraftKings is all those takedowns that he can't get. Uh, he's not the best at holding people down the whole time, so that's good for us. Hooker can get up. Let's get him back down. Keep adding those takedowns in, and we can score high. Uh, I bet DKC with 
uh, in a parlay with Usman, I think, yesterday. So I'm pretty high on him. Uh, I think he can get a finish, but my pick is most likely by a decision, and I don't think he'll have too hard of a, too much of a problem paying off his $8,700 price tag. And then on the other side with Hooker, he's uh, 7500 I think he'll be somewhat popular based on odds and the DK salary value. So I would rather just just fade Hooker 100% of fade and, and go with maybe 75% DK. See, I'm pretty heavy on him here. I think he's a, a good pick in cash and GPP. So off the top of your head, do you know which fight DeCasey scored more points in? Was it that devastating, you know, 20-second knockout of Timu Pakellen, or was it the fight with uh, Frankie Perez where he had all those takedowns? Uh, I was Pakellen. With the Perez, he lost that one round, so you're really getting only two rounds of points that he got. So that's what made him only get 74 points in the Perez fight. Uh, fight. But against Pakellen, he had 103. So let me get let me get that first-round knockout instead. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So another really good featherweight fight, Miles Jury taking on Rick Lenn. Now, we haven't really seen much from Miles Jury in a couple of years. I mean, the only fight he's had in the last two years was that you know first-round finish of, of uh, Mike Delatore. But with Rick Lenn, man, he's been uh, flying under the radar. You recall when you know him and Gavin Tucker opened as a pick right? And the public steamed Gavin Tucker to a minus 400. Rick Glenn went out there and, you know, set a significant strike record on the kid. It was a very, very devastating uh, win or loss, however you want to consider it, right? It was a very devastating performance for Rick Glenn. Now, here's the thing, man. I'm thinking if it's kind of a pretty fight that Jury's going to win, but if it's a gritty dog fight, Glenn's going to take it. Which way are you leaning? <laughs> yeah, I felt like an idiot after that last Glenn fight. Uh, I faded him 100%. Now, he's probably the highest-scoring guy on that card. So my night was dead after that fight ended. Um, so it's definitely making me want to lean towards Glenn here, but I think most people are thinking that same way because of uh, the noise he made in that last fight. So he will be the more popular guy here. I'm guessing he's going to be 30 maybe 35% owned by the field. Uh, I will have some of them, but... That also makes me like Jury more in GPPs because he will be low-owned. Nobody's going to want to click on him um, when you have to have two dogs, and I think Glenn is going to be most people's favorite dog. So you can get a Jury at, at pretty low, maybe 15 to 20% owned in GPPs, and he has the chance for over 100. I don't think Glenn is going to do what he did uh, to Gavin Tucker against a vet like Jury. My pick to win is jury, but I'm having the same problem where it's just hard to click on him over guys like Diakisi, who I'm really heavy on, um, and other guys that are above him. So I do want exposure to both sides of this fight. Uh, if I had to pick if maybe one lineup, I think I'd rather go with Glenn, just play it safe, get the same dog as everybody else, and hope my other one is different and they both hit. Uh, but you can get jury at some pretty low ownership in GPP, so I think I'd stay away in cash, maybe, maybe make him a GPP-only player. So a really intriguing flyweight matchup. We got Mateus Nicolau taking on Louis Smolka. Now, back to your point earlier. Whenever everyone's saying someone's done and that person that everyone's saying is done has their back up against the wall, it's a very scary proposition to bet against them, man. I mean, you remember when Michael Johnson fought Dustin Poirier and everyone was counting out Michael Johnson. His back was up against the wall. He went out there and he finished Poirier. Now, I personally have Mateus Nicolau. I'm going to tell you why, man. Because, as you know, 
since you've been watching Lewis Smolka for a long time, he's a very exciting guy. But what he likes to do is he likes to get himself in bad positions early so he can scramble his way out of them. And that's one of the qualities I really respect about Lewis Smolka is that, you know, 10 seconds into the fight, he's in full mount bottom, but he reverses and then he smashes dudes. The issue here, Kyle, is this is the first black belt that Lewis Smolka has ever fought. And this ain't just any black belt. This is a, you know, first place at IBJJF black belt, a dude that trains with Damian Maya every single day black belt. That's what we're talking about. So if Lewis Smolka gives up that full mount or gives up his back early, I don't think this is going to be the kind of fight where he can just scramble his way out of it. I think he could actually get finished in that spot. And on the feet, man, you saw Mateus Nicolau put on a three-round boxing clinic against the number five guy on planet Earth, John Moraga. Now, I know everyone's talking about the USADA suspension, but... The reason I think it's a complete non-factor and should not even be brought up once is because this is a 24-year-old kid. This ain't a 40-year-old like Vitor where it looks like his body's melting and you know what I mean? The guy has zero business fighting anymore. Mateus Nicolaus, 24. Kind of like, remember when Brian T. City Ortega popped in his UFC debut? No one ever talks about that and he's been finishing every single fight since then. I view this as a similar situation. As you know, I moved the line from Mateus Nicolau. I moved it from minus 175 to about minus 400. Now a lot of action came in on Smolka. We're looking at minus 220, Nicolau plus 180, Smolka. Which way are you going, bro? Yeah, I think you got the right side in this one, and you got the, the line that I wish I got. Um, if I was going to invest in this fight, I, I mean, if you're selling some pieces, you let me know because I'll buy in. <laughs> but uh, right now at the current line, I think I would rather just – take the shot on Smolka and do what I said earlier when everyone's going one way I'm going to go the other so I will have exposure to both sides of this fight for that reason um if Smolka wins he could score very high I don't think he does though he just gives up takedowns so easily he just accepts them really um and that's not a good idea in this fight so I think you're on the right side and I had a price tag of 8900 we've seen Tim Elliott score, what, 177 or so points over Smolka. So you could definitely have a really high ceiling against him. Uh, so I am interested in all formats and Nicolau. Um, but as you said, man, when, when everyone's zigging, I'm going to zag usually. So I got to have a few shots at Smolka as well. I like both sides of this fight, but you got you got the best investment that I've seen yet. You bring up great points, but, you know, the way you're feeling about, you know, everyone, you know, saying Smolka's done and stuff, that was the case a couple days ago when it was minus 300 Nicolau plus 220 Smolka. But now we're looking at, you know, minus 220 Nicolau plus 180 Smolka. So a ton of action is coming on Smolka because a couple days ago, bro, it was plus 300 Smolka. Now it's plus 180. You know what I'm saying? That's a dollar twenty cents drop. Well, yeah, I actually didn't even see that drop. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's probably closer to where the line should be in my eyes. So... Uh, I would need it to move a little bit more for me to want that Nicolau money, and right now I couldn't bet Smoke at plus 180, so I guess I, I'm avoiding this 100% from a bet unless something changes, and I would rather just take both sides in GPPs and hope uh, that the winning side can go off and I can come in first in a tournament. So I have interest in both sides, but Nicolau I think has a higher ceiling, but it'll also be more popular. So I'm really torn on this fight. I, I don't know who to have more exposure to, but I'll definitely have both guys. So you brought up Tim Elliott, and it's interesting because we just talked about him two weeks ago, Kyle. And every time that he's on the card, we got to address the same thing. On his best possible day, he will break a fucking DraftKings record. On his worst possible day, he'll score one point. 
So, you know, when you're dealing with a guy that can score 170 or score one, I mean, is it a case where you're like, all right, I got to roll the dice and put him in there? Or are you just like, bro, I want no part of it whatsoever? Yeah, I think I got to roll the dice with a ceiling like he has. Um, against a newcomer, I have to have some Elliot. I can't just fade him here. But he's having uh, he's having some rough times. His coach just died. Uh, apparently he went, he went out to Vegas a little bit early and he was just staying up all night drinking. He said he's, his body's suffering from it. Um, so all that makes me really lean more towards Rosa. Um, so I can't completely fade him either. Uh, so again, I want both sides of this fight. I just think that ceiling of Elliot is too high to completely fade if you're a multiple lineup kind of guy, which I am. Um, so if I'm making 10 lineups here, I'm thinking I probably want maybe... Maybe four Elliott, three Rosa, maybe four and four. But I have interest in both sides because if, if De La Rosa pulls it off, he's probably going to be more under on than he should be because of that high ceiling Tim Elliott has. Everybody remembers that smoke fight, and they want to chase those points. So he'll get a pretty high ownership, maybe top three on the card. And if, if you get that Ben 10 situation where everyone has him and he puts up a one, and you got the other guy, you're sitting pretty in tournaments. So uh, another one where I want both both guys, but my pick is Elliot. So, man, last but not least, middleweight division, Marvin Vittori, the Italian dream. He's taking on Omari Akhmedov. And as you know, man, I got a ton of respect for all the Russians. And it's interesting I say that because Omari's last fight against Razak Al-Hassan, dude, I bet big on Razak Al-Hassan, and Omari went out there and, you know what I'm saying? He spoiled the plans, but I got nothing but respect for him. And I was like, holy shit, he is so much bigger than Razak Al-Hassan in there. And now, uh, you know, coincidentally enough, he's moving up to 185 pounds. But the thing is here, man, when you're fighting a guy like Razak Al-Hassan, you know, it kind of looked like Razak could have made 155 pounds that fight. Marvin Vittori could arguably make 205 pounds. You know what I mean? So this is finally... Omari's going to fight a dude his size if not bigger. So I'm just wondering if his takedowns are going to be effective in this spot or if it's going to be, you know, the King's MMA southpaw forward pressure, big body kick style of Marvin Vittori that's going to be the difference. Uh, yeah, I like Vittori in this one. I think he's my only pick. It's not a, si uh, not a fight where I want both sides. Um, I think he wins... Almost however he wants. If he wants to finish it, I think he can do that. Um, but I, I think a decision is possible as well. Yeah, I think it's just a bad fight to make your de debut at in 185 for Akhmedov. And I don't see how he has a, a really high-scoring night either. I don't see him putting away Vittori early. And I don't see Vittori fading more than he does and getting him late. So this is one where I really only have interest in Vittori um, or fade the fight altogether. But you got some value here because Vittori is cheaper on DraftKings than Diakisi, but he's got a better betting line. Um, and he could win in this first round with the knockout uh, with the big boys here. So I have interest in him. I don't know how much I want of him if it's a 50% kind of thing. But I'm definitely going to fade Akhmedov and Vittori's my pick here. Well, Kyle, man, it's going down this Saturday. UFC 219, the last pay-per-view of the year, the last event of the year. And, man, what a year it's been, dude, and what a way to cap things off and i'm pumped man uh any any closing words for the fans on uh what what this great year has been uh man it's it's been a fun one uh look forward to the next it never stops the grind keeps going so i'll see you for the next card let's enjoy this one and make some money yes sir make sure you follow this man at big marley three 
And you can challenge this guy to, you know, head-to-heads on DraftKings, but if you come at the king, Kyle... You best not miss. Man, uh, Kyle Marley killing it as always. The last episode of Half the Battle for 2017. And you know he brought the goods as always. Uh, which he is known for. And which he is known for indeed. A huge part of the Half the Battle team. It's great having Kyle Marley on board. Make sure you follow this man at Big Marley 3. Now Shaq, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for USC 219? The fight to watch, man. I'm going to go with uh, Miles Jury and Rick Glenn. Like like we said, Rick Glenn is one of those guys that people think they're going to go in there and they think they're just going to take care of him. And me and you both know that's just not the case with Rick Glenn. Um, remember that fight with Evan Dunham that third round, how Rick Glenn was fighting? And, you know, Miles Jury, I'm interested to see if he can get back on a winning streak. You know, the guy at one point, I thought the guy was going to be a future world champion. And, I mean, those days look uh, <laughs> those days look long over. So I'll take you know. the wager on never. <laughs> those days look uh, very uh, very done. You know, he's got a kid now. I'm interested to see if he can get back on track. He's back with his old team, the people that brought him up. I know this is a very important fight for him. He's got his boy Jeremy and Dom Cruz with him. So let's. Uh, I'm interested to see if Rick Glenn, you know, proves that he has always been one of the best featherweights in the world, like how he was in World Series of Fighting. So that's the fight I'm actually looking uh, forward to seeing. Yeah, it's going to be a great fight. And obviously, my fight to watch, man, it's Carlos the Natural Born Killer versus Neil Magny. Look, Carlos Condit has about six fight of the night bonuses in the UFC, one in the WEC. Anytime he fights, win or lose, it's going to be super exciting. And with Neil Magny, he always needs the right dance partner to make an exciting fight. You know, if you just sit there and stare at a guy like Neil Magny, it's not going to be very exciting. But you get someone that comes to fight him, this has all the ingredients for fight of the night. I'm going Condit versus Magny. So Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC 219? Opening up the FS1 prelims from Sao Paulo or Via Vea or wherever he's from, Rio de Janeiro, my boy Mateus Nicolau, about to take care of Luis Smoka. Don't forget this kid at 22 or 23 years old at the time took out the number six flyweight in the world, John Moraga. Yes, yeah, Chicano John Moraga in his flyweight debut off the tough show. The guy's got very good experience. I know he got knocked out by Pedro Nobe, but he took that first L. He was on the tough show fighting way bigger And he guys. fought tough in that fight, by the way. Exactly. He didn't go down. He didn't take a knee. And, you know, he was in there against guys like Hedginaldo Vieira, guys that are way bigger than him. Guys like Delano Lopez who are way bigger than him. Everyone's like, oh, he lost to Delano. But if you actually watch the fight, you would understand why I thought he won that fight. But it was understandable. But look, the kid's got some serious potential. Like we said, this is a very good opportunity for him to showcase his skills. And I think he's the fighter to watch. Shaq, I hate being boring and stealing your fighter to watch. But when I got six units on the line... It's pretty obvious that Mateus Nicolau is my fighter to watch. And not only that, I mean, when you get the chance to fight a guy like Lewis Smolka, it's going to be a super intriguing fight because if Lewis is able to get off on his scrambles, which he is known for, which I highly doubt, Shaq, it'll make for an exciting back-and-forth fight. But that being said, if it goes down how I think it's going to go down with Mateus completely neutralizing him, shutting him down, putting on, you know, a clinic, letting everyone that made USADA, you know, Oh, he's coming off a steroid suspension, making all those arguments look dumb as fuck. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. For that reason, he is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, it's going down this Saturday, UFC 219. We did it, man. They can follow you at MMA Genius 05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. And we're not going to announce anything quite yet, but all I got to say is big things coming up next year. Isn't that right? Yeah, very big things. And, you know, thanks for all the support. And uh, we will continue, you know, having those max bet winners for you 
we'll keep delivering. That's the bottom line, just like we've done. You know, about to have my third successful year in a row, but this is going to be my biggest one no matter what happens Saturday night. So I'm super excited. Make sure you subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher and hook up those five-star reviews. Thank you guys so much for the support. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.